0: Welcome to The Everyday Evangelist. I'm Jessica Dudek, Director of Evangelization at Christ the King Catholic Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and this is your landing ground for practical tips and tools for sharing the faith in the day-to-day. Today I want to tell you a little bit about why I created this podcast and what it is I hope that shifts in your life or how God uses this to empower you. When I was a freshman in college, I had a powerful encounter with Jesus, actually through the Sacrament of Reconciliation, that made Him so much more real to me than I'd ever experienced before. Now, I grew up in the faith. My parents were amazing at teaching us the truth. I grew up charismatic, not here at Christ the King, but elsewhere. And so my home life is, I would go home after the end of the day of school and we would sing praise and worship worship songs. We would pray in tongues, lift our hands, read the scripture, meditate on the scripture, spending time listening for the Holy Spirit, praying for one another. We saw healings happen in my living room. And this was very normal for me. This was how I grew up. But when I went to school, I almost felt as though I lived this double life. You know, my peers were just normal kids with normal problems, and I engaged with them like any other sort of normal kid um, or normal high schooler. And I didn't really know how to bring the depth and powerful beauty of what I experienced in my faith. To that environment, I felt the division of these worlds so profoundly. And I didn't really know how to share anything about the faith with my peers without sharing everything about the faith with my peers. I didn't know how to have a conversation about Jesus without also sharing about all the charisms of the Holy Spirit and what deliverance ministry looked like or praying in tongues or things like that. And the the things that I was exposed to at a very early age are some of the great riches of the faith but are also the things that the untrained eye can seem a little crazy. I mean, praying for healing, praying in tongues, having visions, things like that. The, some of those things are barely understood inside the Christian world and are debated among Christians even in their validity. There are churches, you know, that question or doubt that the charismatic gifts are still at work today. I was profoundly lost. At knowing how to bring the truth to my peers. But then there was my freshman year of college. And like I said, I had an encounter with Jesus through the sacrament that just made his personhood so much more real to me. And it quickly birthed in me this hunger to know him more. And I would read the scripture every single day and I would meditate on it. I would journal on the scripture. And I just began allowing Jesus into my life in a deeper way. And I began to feel the Holy Spirit urging me to attend a Bible study that met in my dorm through Intervarsity Christian Fellowship. And I began, you know, going to Bible study and kind of forming some more Christian community. Up until that point, Everybody around me knew I was a Christian, knew that I was a Catholic. Um, I had friends who identified as Christian, but didn't necessarily live that out in their lives, or they lived it out to one extent, but maybe not fully. And I had a number of friends who were not of the faith at all. And I loved these people. We loved each other. We didn't lead a riotous, ruckus life by any means. Um, we were just good friends, but my faith stayed in, still stayed in a box. It was something everyone knew about me, um, but I still felt really halted in knowing how to talk about faith, particularly when our differences became more apparent. Now, my friends were not necessarily riotous or ruckus in the party sense, but there was a fair bit of partying at the school that I went to. And I did have a few people in my life at that time that were heavily wrapped up in the party scene. And those people would on occasion, you know, sort of tease me about being part of InterVarsity or tease me as I went off to mass, you know, I'd be going off to mass, leaving the the group early and they'd be like, oh, say hi to God for me. And I'm like, you can say hi yourself. Um, But that was the extent to the faith conversation that happened at that point in time. And then one night, kind of completely unexpectedly, I had a dream I had a dream that my family was journeying up a mountain and halfway up the mountain, a very specific life event happened to one of my siblings. And I'm not going to share it on this podcast because it's not just my story, but really it's her story. But the Lord showed me something that was in this dream that was going to be not just trying and difficult for my sister, but would actually be difficult for my whole family. And he didn't give me a ton of information, but in the dream, I saw this very specific life event happen to my sister. Um, Then as the dream went on, my family reached the top of this mountain. And at the top of the mountain, we entered a room. And it had three walls on it. And then there was one wall that just looked out over the mountain range. And the room was full of chairs facing that open wall. And in this room, it was the end of the world, and in this room was everybody who was going to be saved and was going off to heaven. And we were filling those chairs and looking out of the mountain range, waiting for Jesus to come. And it was a very small room. The majority of the chairs were empty. And when I looked around the room, I realized that none of my college friends were there. So in this dream, I began to panic. And I remember telling everyone in the dream that Jesus can't come back right now. You have to tell him to wait. I have to go get some people. And everyone in the dream saying, Jessica, it's too late. There's no more time. And I was upset. I was crying. I was trying to get out of this room to go find people. And everyone's telling me, nope, it's too late. Jesus is coming back. There's no, there's no telling God to wait. And I woke up from this dream in a cold sweat with the deep realization that this could happen. Now, what I didn't know at the time was that the Lord was communicating to me in a dream and that it was for all practical intents and purposes, a prophetic dream. But that year, very shortly after the dream, the thing that kicked off that specific life event for my sister began to take shape. And it was within the next five years or so that that event came to pass and shook my whole family. And it wasn't until that event actually came to fruition that I looked back and realized, oh, that's right. This was part of the dream that I had. And this was clearly a prophetic dream where the Lord was speaking to me. But even though I didn't know at the time it was a prophetic dream, it still began to change my life. Like I said, up to that point of time, the extent of my spiritual conversations were snarkily responding to my friends that they could talk to God, I didn't have to, and kind of needing to jokingly defend, you know, why I wasn't doing certain actions, why I wasn't sleeping around, why I wasn't drinking, and stuff like that, um, and sort of dodging some of those awkward social interactions. Um, and then in the place of my faith, you know, where I went to Bible study, where I prayed deeply and sought the Lord those actions were all done separately from my secular friends. So after that dream and that realization uh, that they could potentially you know, not go to heaven and we could be severed for all of eternity, I began to wrestle with this question of, would heaven really be heaven for me if the people I love are not there? And to be honest, friend, I still wrestle with that. Because I know that if I, God willing, make it to heaven and I'm with the Lord, that I'll have the fullness of joy in his presence. But I wonder about the people that I care about. And I'm someone who is especially sensitive to loss and separation. I'm greatly impacted when a relationship is damaged or when I experience loss through death or something like that. So it began to... You know, really gnaw on my heart, and it still really gnaws on my heart that question of, would heaven be heaven if the people I love are not there? So, very, very sloppily and timidly, I began to try to evangelize my friends. And I say sloppily and timidly because 18-year-old Jessica had no idea what she was doing. I knew a group of girls that wanted to be in a Bible study, but they didn't like university. So I said, okay, well, let's do Bible study together. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great. I've got this opportunity to evangelize these girls. They don't feel comfortable, surrounded by a bunch of other Christians, but we can talk and it'll be great. Um, and these women... They just really wanted a place to defend their non Christian lifestyle and have someone say that it's okay, that you can be a Christian and sleep around, or you can be a Christian and fill in the blank. And I was just there completely ill-equipped knowing how to respond. You know, we would read the scripture together and they would pull out these interpretations that were not at all what the scripture said. And I just found myself bumping up against a wall Um, or I'd find myself in other situations where... I had roommates and friends who were living what we always call the sort of cafeteria Catholic lifestyle, where again, they claim to be believers and they go to church. They say, Yes, I believe this. But then they openly say things like, Oh, you know, I don't believe everything the Bible says, and that's okay, or I don't believe everything the church says about this. I have the tension point, and that's okay, and they find reasons to justify why they're not living in the fullness. And I took bold steps and awkwardly, clunkily spoke truth and tried to tell these friends, you know... Actually, no, I don't think you get to pick and choose what you're gonna believe. I think if you believe this aspect of Jesus, you need to believe all of what Jesus says. And it's kind of inconsistent to pick something up, and people would get angry, people would get upset. Um, so my first several attempts at evangelization were massive flops epic failures. I was lost. I did not know how to handle hard situations. I did not know how to speak truth in these difficult moments. I had no idea at all how to bring holy correction in a manner in which it could be received. And I had no idea of knowing how do I even start a spiritual conversation? How do I even get a sense of where somebody is in their faith? What does it look like to break through some of these barriers? and so my heart for evangelization and my efforts in evangelization they poured forth from me but they were halted in their effectiveness now fortunately the holy spirit is good and so even when we drop seeds on you know bad soil the lord can still have his way you know the scripture says that Ah, uh, the word of God does not return void; it fulfills its purpose. So God can use our sloppy, incomplete, incomplete, um, and poorly delivered attempts. But a few years later, my junior year of college, after another epically bad evangelistic attempt, um, I ended up at a conference with InterVarsity where I learned about the five thresholds of conversion. Doug Schaup and Don Everts had written a book called I Once Was Lost, where they worked to figure out the sort of mental process and emotional spiritual process that people go through when converting to a new religion. And that gave this sort of five, yeah, five threshold process of understanding where somebody was on their spiritual journey. If you have read the book, Forming Intentional Disciples by Sherry Waddell, she uses these thresholds and talks about them from that book, and she references them in that. And so when I sat there in this training and learned these thresholds for the first time, suddenly I knew not just where to identify where my friends were, but where to place what could be someone's next step. And I suddenly found that I had a context for knowing how to relate to my friends, of understanding when somebody was spiritually questioning versus when they were showing signs that they were really turned off from Christianity or maybe had a lot of distrust of the faith. And it put evangelization in this context of needing to build a shelf and having all the wood for it, but needing different tools. And suddenly I didn't only have a hammer, but I also had a screwdriver and I also had, I don't know, super glue or I'm not a builder. So whatever other tools you might need for assembling a bookshelf, someone's going to listen to this and be like, uh, you don't use super glue when you're assembling a bookshelf, Jessica, your building qualities could use some help. Um, but you know what I mean? I had a toolkit at this point. I didn't have just one method of evangelization, I began to learn how to tailor my words and tailor my approach to someone else's spiritual need. And interestingly enough, the day that I came home from that conference, one of my good friends, who was very, very, very far from God at that point, had just given her life back to Christ. Now, I said that I had had a very failed evangelistic attempt before that weekend. Yeah, that was with that friend. We had a fight about the faith. Um she was deep into some very destructive behaviors. And I'd been kind of trying to gently lead her out of that. She got aggressive with me, kind of mocked my faith. I yelled back in ways that I wish I hadn't. And yeah, I just felt like the world's biggest failure. But like I said, the Lord can even use our sloppy attempts. But what happened after that is she went and spent time with another friend who kind of dragged her to church. And the pastor spoke words much more beautifully than I had the day before. And, you know, the Holy Spirit cut to her heart and she gave her life back to the Lord. And so I remember when she just came into my room and told me about what had happened to her over the weekend and how she had given her life to Jesus. And I almost didn't know how to believe it. I sat there staring at her almost in complete disbelief, not, not knowing what to make of this. It was the first time that I'd seen somebody convert. And I think Jesus was discipling me almost as much as he was discipling her. He was teaching me how to be gentle, teaching me how to be sensitive and attentive and really empathetic to someone else's needs, And also showing me that his care for evangelization was so much stronger than anything that I would ever feel. I feel the equivalent of a drop in the ocean to his love for the world and his love for the crazy messed up humanity that surrounds us. He is the one who is so desperate for them and so desperate that they know and feel his love and that they turn away from sin and they turn away from death and enter into life. And so he will use our sloppy attempts. He will use the things that we get wrong, but he also longs to turn us into a finely tuned instrument and to be skilled in this area. For me, going through that initial training and then seeing my friend come to know Jesus, like I said, I was so much more empowered. The guesswork of evangelization went away. I was free. I was equipped. I was empowered and filled with the mix of the passion of the Holy Spirit and the discipline of the mind and of my tongue to know how to bring the faith to someone else. And since then, I have personally, well, I don't want to give a number. It sounds weird to say. I've been able to see many, many people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's actually something that I want you to experience as well. And so I started this podcast because I want you to have that same boldness, that same empowerment, and to feel the same freedom to step out. And I care about talking about the difficult things or the things that hold us up in evangelization. And I care about giving training information, not because I think we can't go out without it, but because I think we're stronger with it. It's like the difference between going to the gym without knowing how to use the weight equipment and only being able to use the treadmill versus going to the gym, knowing how to use all the equipment and choosing what you want to do for your workout that day. It's the difference between making spaghetti every night for dinner and being given a cookbook with all sorts of recipes that you could improvise off of. In so many other areas of our life, we know that we need discipline and we know that we need instruction. And so my goal with this podcast is to give you that instruction so that you have the freedom to step out. I know you have the heart. I know you have the passion and I know that you probably have people in your life that lead you to also be asking that question of, would heaven really be heaven if this person that I love isn't there? And I think the Holy Spirit is inviting you to press into that question and to let it spur you into action. So listen in, subscribe, send me your questions. I'll do everything I can to answer them. The Lord loves you, He loves the person that you want to see in heaven, and He's the one that wants to use your attempts to bring them to know Him. So in all things, lean on the Lord and rely on the Holy Spirit. Amen. (laughs)